All right, welcome to the Utility Podcast. My name is Jeff Excel. This is Bernardo. And with us today is Leslie Spurlock, who is a NFT photographer and a collector. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hello, Leslie. So Leslie is coming to the podcast because she's a photographer known for her photojournalism and known for a lot of different kinds of photography, I would say, because you have a lot of collections out there, both in Ethereum blockchain and Tezos blockchain. And as well, you are a collector in both blockchains, and that is quite interesting. Um, And before we start, I wanted to ask if, before we start on the collections, I wanted Mm -hmm. to start on how did you come to this space? Are you here from the get-go on the beginning, or were you late in the game how 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 did it happen that you came to the nfts um yeah so um i actually i was more of a facebook girl and um i used twitter solely for news and, and and since i'm a storm chaser um for weather stuff um and so i followed you know some of my storm chasing friends on there and i guess about august of early august of last year um i started seeing doppler jess she was posting about nfts and everything else and you know that she was making money there and how much she loved the community and i was like hmm what is this so i looked into it and like i started following nft type people and all it was was um like pfp type of things and stuff that i didn't really relate to so I kind of put it off and I'm like this makes no sense to me I don't think I belong in this world so um then um I guess um as time went on I saw Lori Grace posting about that stuff as well and I'm like okay I kind of need to start looking into this because clearly this is where it's going uh the art world and um I don't want to get left behind so um, about mid-November, um, I started trying to build my community because I Jess had told me, you know, that was really important and stuff like that. So I didn't realize how important it was, but I knew I had to start building a community. So I started posting um, around mid-November and following people and, and supporting and stuff. And then December 1st, I think I mentioned my first NFT on foundation. I got a foundation invite pretty early. So um, that was where I first minted and then um, minted a few more in December and um, sold my first pieces end of December, beginning of January. So, and then it kind of snowballed from there. So it's been crazy. I mean, that feels pretty early. Do you want to talk us through a little bit about your photography career in general before NFTs? I'm always interested in how how people came to photography also. Yeah, so I um, actually became a photographer kind of out of the blue. Um, I wanted to work for Rolling Stone magazine and um, photograph. <laughs> I, I was just like in love with Sting and the police and stuff back Amazing. in the day. I, I'm I'm old, so um, so okay. yeah. I you thought you know I can meet him if I work for Rolling Stone magazine. So I think I want to be a photographer. So um, you know I got a photographer camera. My parents were living overseas, and I got a camera for Christmas and um, started playing around with it. Um, and I ended up signing up 
uh, in college for photography classes. So when I first started my photography class, you know, I didn't even know, this was film day. So I didn't even know how to load my film in the camera at that point. Um, and then I ended up, you know, I, I guess I did pretty well pretty early. I ended up taking travel photography, um, like doing travel photos overseas and stuff like that. And they ended up selling for um, like comp back in the day, there was compact computers and big companies like that. And they had headquarters and in their headquarters, they had galleries. Um, and so, you know, I sold for those galleries and stuff in the headquarters. So, um, and then I took off for quite a while. I had kids and I took off, um, but I discovered in photography school, um, one of my teachers was a photojournalist. And at the time that was during the days when the um, Mujahideen were fighting the Russians. And I was fascinated with that story and discovered, you know, photojournalism. And um, that was like, all from then on out, all I wanted to do was photojournalism. But like I said, I had to put it off um, because of kids. And then um, even though I still had fairly young kids at the time, um, I ended up deciding to go to Haiti to pursue my photojournalism career. And that was, um, I, I ended up, I was supposed to be going with someone, ended up going by myself. And uh, that kind of started things rolling with photojournalism. I covered Haiti six times. I lived with the rebels when they ousted the president, took over the country, lived in the slum, slums, been shot at a number of times, um, almost died there, saw some horrific things that um, make me tear up. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was crazy. The, the president sent in 17 men to assassinate us one night and stuff. And um, it was crazy times, but um, it was my thing. I mean, one time I was covering the flood in Haiti that killed 3000 and I literally slept maybe three hours in seven days and I ate three meals in seven days. And I just was able to keep going. I didn't crash till I got back home. So um, that was my passion. But then I got a divorce and had to do weddings um, instead. So I did weddings. So for years. you went from photojournalism to weddings. Yes. Normally it's the other way around, isn't it? Well, and it was funny because like my friends were like, I, I said, I'm not doing weddings. I'm not doing weddings. And they're like, you need to do weddings. So I'm like, fine, I will do, do weddings, but I'm not a wedding photographer. They're like, okay, you're a photojournalist <laughs> that shoots weddings. And so they say, we're not going to call you a wedding photographer. But luckily, photo, uh, weddings at that time were uh, turning photojournalistic in style. So I was able to tell the story of a wedding, and then yeah. that kind of worked. A lot of photojournalists actually ended up shooting weddings. So, um, yeah, and, and I, hated, I hated every 14 years of it, but I loved my clients. My clients were amazing. They took me all over the world. So it, they, were, they were really cool. It's so crazy to me that you went from shooting with, like, actual rebels, and then you took that and went back and, and shot weddings. I mean, like the transition is absolutely insane. Did you feel, I mean, was there a sense of letdown or was it like, were you relieved? You're like, oh God, at least I'm not going to get shot at, at this wedding. You know, like, was no. it, were you excited to be there or were you <laughs> no. like, I want back in the action? I wanted back in the action for sure. Like, I, I mean, although I couldn't go back to Haiti and that's kind of a long story because um, 
I ended up having enemies on both sides when I left Haiti. And like I said, that's a long story, but like my rebel friends wanted to kill me and the Shemer wanted to kill me. So I, I decided not to go back to Haiti. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so that really wasn't an option, but um, I, I did end up covering hurricanes and stuff like that. So that gave me uh, my photojournalism outlet, you know, um, in between the weddings and stuff. But yeah, no, um, it was not a relief to shoot weddings at all. So I really didn't want to be shooting weddings, but did it so, for 14 years. So. Um, so it seems to me that your photojournalism is very around uh, extreme environments. Yeah. Is that something that it was life that took you there or it was something that you were seeking for the adrenaline of it or um, for what, what what is what why was that why were those the the special photojournalism's um the things that happened in the world that drawn you to it um for me um it wasn't about uh the adrenaline at all um it was about I've always been one that was big into helping out and donating and NGOs, um, nonprofits, all of that. So for me, it was, I've always wanted to tell the stories, to get their voices out there, to let the world know what's happening and to let the people be heard and try to make change in some way. And so that's actually why I got into photojournalism. It was to make this world a better place and create change and show people what's happening in the world. and um make people care you know um that was that's that's the reason I got into it and that's what I strive for every time so yeah are you still doing uh, okay like let's pop out of nfts for a second are you still doing wedding photography are you doing no or are you doing other things now yeah, no. So I got remarried and about uh, four years ago in August, and um, I ended up stop stop. I stopped shooting weddings um, January first, twenty twenty, which actually turned out to be perfect because That's of COVID. Good. That makes good yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't even realize it at the time, but yeah, yeah, I stopped then, and you know, um, was staying home until the protests broke out. So yeah. Well, that's photojournalism. Photojournalism, in a sense. Last question in that vein before, and it's kind of a stupid one, but did you ever meet Sting or no? No, I didn't. I, I saw him in concert. That's as far that's as close All as right. I got. Well, I thought, yeah. you know, just want to fulfill that dream maybe someday. Yeah, you know, my whole dream of marrying him and stuff, that just went down the toilet, unfortunately. That's but, fair. You know, it's okay. I got shot at instead, so it's good. <laughs> just as good. Okay, so let's go back to NFTs a little bit now. Um, so you were doing photojournalism, then you were doing weddings, and then you found the NFTs, and then you decided, okay, so what type of work I'm going to put on the blockchain? Because on the blockchain, it stays forever. So what was the mental process there? Um, because I look at your collections, and you have a lot of different types of photography. So what was your thought process here? Right. So um, actually, yeah, it, it was really difficult for me to try and decide what I wanted to put out there. I was still really big on Facebook at the time. So um, I actually did ask people, you know, which ones do you think would be best? Would you think it would be this style, my, my storms or this or my photojournalism or creative portraits? 
And um, most people went with, um, I mean, I, I kind of got a mix, mixture of people that liked all. So I would put them out on Twitter, just, just gauge interest and stuff. And, um, you know, surprisingly, the biggest interest, the, the, the most likes I got was my storm work. So um, I thought, okay, well, storm, that's, that's going to do really well, I think. But, um, but then, you know, I also, I was posting my photojournalism and they were, people liked those and then my creative portraits. So um, I, I was really confused as to what I should do. So the first one, my Genesis piece was actually a boudoir image um, because people seemed to like that. And then when I first put that out, then people were like, well, what about your creative portraits? So I'm, Oh, sorry. <laughs> Things changed. I wasn't sure what was going on. Um, That's okay. We're. Uh, your... I just wanted to show some of your stuff. So. Yeah. So they're like, "What about your creative portraits?" And so I'm like, "Okay, I guess I better mint those." Well, what about your photojournalism, your storms? I'm like, "Okay, I guess I better mint those." And so I ended up minting a variety of different ones, and um, which cost me a small fortune back then. And um, yeah, that's peak but... of the bull run. Yes, it was crazy, but um, you know, I, I would sit there and I would go into spaces and I would ask collectors how and, and other people how they felt about doing multiple genres and stuff like that. And a lot of people did say, you know, you should kind of stick to one and stuff like that. You know, they didn't know my work, but they were like, you should probably stick to one and stuff. And the more I thought about it, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to be me. I'm going to do my own thing in this space and I don't care what people think. I'm doing what I think is important and the work that I want to put out there and I'm just going to do it my own way, which is what I did. Um, but I do think the photojournalism work also was important to put on the blockchain because it's history. And I think we should have history on the blockchain for sure. Yeah, I agree. And, Go ahead. And, uh, yeah. I have a um, I have two questions here. Actually, I have three questions for you now. Um, and this question was brought by Miriam, um, the photographer that we, it's our friend. So Miriam asked, looking at your collections, and this is what we were talking about a little bit, we can see so many different things. And her question would be, what is the, the type of photography that is more Leslie? that you feel more identified to? Um, I wouldn't say a specific type. What I would say is the work that I'm drawn to is emotional work, anything with emotions. And that could be creative portraits. That could be a storm. That could be photojournalism. I like to show emotions and, and I like to make people feel something with my photos. And that's the type of work I like to do, no matter what type of work it is. So on the same subject, Eric, sorry, sorry, Jeff. No, go uh, ahead. I, I said I had three. I said <laughs> I had three. <laughs> so uh, Eric, on the same subject, more or less, he says that there's a lot of, and you were talking a little bit about that, that a lot of collectors say you should get one type of photo. You should get like recognized by one, like one signature. And his question was, is this a, do you think that, your collection being so diverse is that a weakness in terms of not having that signature type that a lot of artists use to have more cells 
or is it strength because you are a multifaceted arti artist and photographer? I look at it actually now as a strength. Um, you know, I mean, I could see people think of it as a weakness, but I don't look at it that way. I'm a very positive person and I tell myself that this is my strength. And uh, not only that, but even in the variety of work that I do, um, I don't know about on Twitter spaces, but on, on Facebook in the, in the days, people would still be able to recognize my work. Um, no matter what type of work it was, I still had people say, I would recognize your work anywhere. Um, and so I think there is some sort of branding going on there, whether or not I mean to or not, but just in my style within the different genres. So um, I, I am looking at it as my strength. Um, you know, I, it, it, I'm, I'm going to continue doing it and it has to be my strength. So you got another question. So maybe your maybe your signature is being so diversified. You know, that's yeah, maybe so. Maybe that's your so. signature. <laughs> <laughs> and one last question. Uh, because you were saying that um you reach to collectors uh on DMs. Uh and this is going a little bit to the, the collector side. And I'm I'm going to ask this because we've been speaking about this on, on our chat group. Do you think like um photographers reaching out to collectors through the M's is a, a, a good way to present their work or is something that people should be um, careful on doing? Um, you know, I have sold a lot of work um, and I will say I have never once collect uh, DM to collector to buy my work. Um, and, and I was nobody when I entered the space. And yet somehow I got my work out there and people saw it and some people resonated with it and it sold. So I never had to DM a collector. Um, I do, as a collector, get DMs a lot. And, and I will say, um, sometimes it, it can drive me crazy um, when, it, and it's the way that you approach the collectors, I think. Um, for me, I, it makes me feel horrible when you message me and say, support my work, do this, do that, buy this, buy that, you know, and there's no conversation. I've never met you before. You're coming into my DMs, never having said a single thing to me on my posts at all. There's no interaction. And then you come in and then even then there's not a, hi, how are you? You know, um, would you mind? taking a look at my work, you know, this and that or whatever. Um, it's just, they, they're treating me like a bank, like an ATM machine, you know? <laughs> and it's like, I am more than that. And I'm a human and I want to be treated that way. You know, I want to be treated as you would want to be treated. And it's not cool to do it that way. If you're nice in your approach, then I have no problem with that. I get shielded every single day, constantly. Like when I wake up, my first thing that I do is retweeting all the all the shills that I get. So um, I, I don't mind, and I think most collectors probably wouldn't mind if you go about it the right way, or if you at least start out with interacting with them on their tweets and stuff like that, you know, more than just, not just their shill tweets, but their actual tweets where they're, they're telling you something about themselves or whatever, or they have a thought, you know, um, 
that that's the best way to go about doing it. When unknown collector collected two of my pieces, um, this was the I, I sold three pieces um, the end of end of December, beginning of January. Two were to unknown collector. One was to Rachel, and um, unknown collector. I actually um, I had posted something to one of his tweets. And he told me at, on that tweet, he's like, and just like that, I noticed you. And that's what got him to notice me. And then the next day he bought two of my pieces. So that's, that's the way to do it. That is exactly the way I, that I've found a lot of the people that I've collected because you just have to like put yourself in the, in the seat of somebody who is getting bombarded all the time. And like my narrow vision has to be narrowed to the things that I have to get done that day. And like some, some of those things that I have to get done that day are like post myself, you know, say something online myself or, um, you know, some of those things I do selfishly um, because I want to be out there in, in the world. And so like, if you're in, if you're interacting on those posts in a genuine way and not like, I know there's this one person who will say the exact same thing on every single one of my posts i'm like i see you i see you and i hear you but i'm like i kind of want to call call them out and be like stop you gotta stop i see you already but anyways um but i found like multiple people that way where they're just like hey like talking about whatever i was talking about and then i'm like oh who's this person oh this is interesting and that's how i think i've seen you and got familiar I with probably your shield to you i'm sure <laughs> no i don't think so because i tried to look back in our dms and i think we've dm but i, I don't think we've ever shielded it's always been like hey. oh yeah i've never showed you in a dm yeah i mean most most good people will be like most people who do it the right way will 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 do it like you're doing to anyone you met in your neighborhood or whatever like where you're saying hi how are you doing what are you up to what do you do <laughs> like you get to know each other first and then we can exactly. start talking about that. Yeah, it's like just common decency. <laughs> but exactly. I like I so appreciate that 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 chain of thought. Can I ask you? Um I, I love the fact that you have all your work out there. It's 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 kind of like it took me a year, but I'm starting to believe that that is the way forward. And it's less like these precious collections that you put out and you say, Well, I'm not gonna mint anything until this is all done. You know, right. I think now people are like, here's my store. I have a bunch of cool stuff. Come check it out. And if you like some stuff, buy it. And if not, cool. Then you got to be in my store for a little bit. Right. And you, has, you see everything that's available. But like, I, I just went to your store and I noticed that there was nothing in the Haiti section. And I'm like, when is the Haiti section coming? Because now I know that <laughs> like, I those are exciting times. <laughs> I put it on Tezos. And then mm. also um, I, I have... I have a bunch of film work from Haiti that um, I think is going to do really well, but my negatives are in storage and we're trying to search for them, but I literally will have to pull out every single box oh my gosh. to find them. Yeah. So it's going to So the prices, prices are going to be high because this is a lot of hours. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. No, I have some incredible work that's been in magazines that um, I can't wait to show people. Um, but it's going to take it's going to take some time to, to. But I did sell, you know, my my Haitian street kid that was back in the day in Times Square uh, on the big thing there um, back in oh, many years ago. And um, that one sold to me for the, the foundation. 
And then um, I have some other Haiti work that I put. Uh, I took it off of foundation because it wasn't selling on foundation. It had been oh. there for a long time and it didn't sell. And so um, I ended up selling it for more to Misson on Tezos. Yeah. So. <laughs> so I just, you just uh, touched the subject in there and I'm going to be very brief in this question. Uh, I want you to put yourself in the, uh, artist's shoes and then on the collector's shoes and we were talking about having a store so do you think scarcity is something that collectors came up with to try to have a return of investment uh, I wouldn't say it's it's wholly collectors I think as an artist sometimes we feel that way as well um, you know I I'm trying to like as a collector, it doesn't bother, scarcity doesn't bother me. Um, I look at solely the artwork. I don't care if it's an addition. I don't care, you know, if there's a lot of them, um, if they have a lot in the collection or whatever. If I like the artwork, I'm going to buy it. And I don't really care. I'm buying the artwork. I'm not buying you know, anything else, but I'm not a flipper either. So I think I'm coming to it from a different side of things. I'm coming to it as an artist who appreciates art. I'm not here to make money off of my collection. Um, so, and I think a lot of, you know, some collectors are, so they're looking at it differently. Um, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of artists feel that um, scarcity is also a good thing. But if you really think about it, if you think of, you know, Picasso and all those people, do you think that when their work wasn't selling back before they died or whatever, you know, not all of them were selling while they were alive. You think that that made them stop producing art constantly? They were still painting constantly. They were still putting out art constantly. It didn't matter if it sold or not. It, so I don't think that even the greatest artists back in the day had just a few pieces. They had a lot. It may not have all sold. It may have not all been in collections, but they had a lot more, you know, than we realize. I feel like, yeah, I, I, I completely agree, but I feel like a lot of real, a lot of people who are artists, I don't know. It feels like there's different shades of artists. I'll put it that way. Where it's like, there's a casual artist. I would put myself in this category. I love art, but I don't need art to breathe. Like, I need to look at art and be around art, but I don't need to create art to to like survive. And then there's those people who are like, I just like every day, I don't know what to do unless I'm doing art, you know? And it feels wow. like scarcity. If you impose scarcity limits on people like that, it's almost like you're saying you can't live. You can't be who you are. And for wow. me, that seems crazy. Um, but I didn't, I'm going to steer it in a different direction, but I just, I felt like that was always the point I was hammering down, which was like, when I, when I think of someone like Picasso, it was, it was like, he didn't wake up and he's like, well, I made too much art, so I got to stop for a while. Right, right. <laughs> but anyways, um, I yeah, really and, love... and, and also like, you know, the artist I was going to tell you about later on, um, she needs to make art constantly. 
she's in a bad situation and this is how she deals with her emotions. So she has to. So we're going to tell her, stop putting out all your pieces. No, I mean, keep yeah. doing. Yeah, but totally. well, well, let me let me just one thing is creating art. Another thing is to have your store completely full. It's two different things. You can continue to create art, but not show everything. Right. You know, and, and believe me, I don't show everything. <laughs> I've got terabytes and terabytes of drives. So <laughs> um, I, I still am limiting myself, believe it or not. But um, if you go into a store, do you want just a few selections? I don't. I want to have some options, you know. Um, not everybody is going to resonate with everything you put out. So I would rather have be able to, you know, choose maybe maybe this is more what I like and this is what someone else likes. I, I know what you mean, and I think we are very alike in, in this. But what I think is happening now, and I think it will change in the future, is that a lot of the a lot of the collectors that exist in the space are people that come from the crypto world, which is an investment. And a lot of people have been flipping PFPs like Jeff with that moon <laughs> moonbird uh, the moonbird in there must be nice and <laughs> so there's a lot of so a lot of collectors they can make someone big nowadays you know and if they if they see this has a potential market if they see scarcity they are the ones that are going to buy because per, potentially there's the return of investment and because potential, there's the return of investment. Those are the artists that are more blown and more known because they 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 make their marketplace for those people. What we are speaking is two different marketplaces, a marketplace for people that love art and want to enjoy the art. But there's another marketplace that is to invest. And those are the ones that are more talked about. And those are right. the ones that can get those those sales. You know, so I understand some artists that want to go to that market because they will probably going to be hyped. If they are good enough, they are going to be hyped. So I think it's a balance here. And I think there are two markets at the same time. And we are trying to come up with with an identifier for everyone. And, it, and it's not. Right. And, and I totally agree. Um, unfortunately, I've already kind of blown the scarcity thing. <laughs> so I'm just going <laughs> with the other. <laughs> I think that I feel like the more photography, NFT photography and NFT and everything else NFTs grows apart, the better. Like I didn't used to feel that way. I used to try to bring them together as much as I possibly could, but I just don't think they were made for each other. Like as much as I love both sides, I love PFPs so much. They're fun. And I love NFT photography, but I just feel like they should be very far apart. I don't know. No, that's just I, me. I agree. I agree. And 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 actually, you know, I mean, I, I wish I would have collected those moonbirds and stuff like that so I could flip them. I would like to be able to flip stuff like that. I just, I kind of always am, am late to the game on everything. So yeah. I'm trying to be more of a DGen these days. So, you know, I'm, I'm interacting with more DGens. So it's not fun though. Anyways, I want to pivot back to your photography because I wanted to talk about specifically your protest photography. For me, that that is the thing that struck me as being the most um, powerful. I think uh, I was in a spaces once with um, 
I'm blowing it. I'm blowing it. The guy who <laughs> the guy who founded Quantum. He's like oh, a, yeah, he's Joey a, Lawrence. No, he's like Chris Graves. Chris, Chris Graves. Graves. Yeah, he's oh, like a genius oh. curator. And he said something to the effect of like, uh, if you're if you're not making if you're not creating photography that isn't changing people's minds and like if it isn't monumental, then why make it at all? And I and it just like that stuck with me so much mainly because I think I was arguing the other side of it and I was like, Oh, he just killed me. Um, <laughs> and it made sense like it. And I'll, and now it's just like something I fully believe in. And so can you just tell us a little bit about what it was like to be there? What it was like to shoot in those conditions? I mean, for me who lives in the Midwest, like it was a crazy, crazy time. Like, I mean, we were in the middle of it essentially in our town. And I, I just want to hear maybe like some stories about, about how that, how that was yeah so um like i said we were staying home during covid for the most part because this was during the height of covid yes. and um then george floyd was killed on may 25th 2020 um i started seeing what was happening in minneapolis and then in other states as well and I knew there was something different about this one. I knew it was going to be a huge movement and a moment in history that I felt I needed to be there to cover it. Um, I hadn't done photojournalism besides, you know, some hurricanes and stuff in quite a while. Um, but I told my husband, I said, I have to go. So um, I told him that night, it was May 28th, um, we were heading to Minneapolis from Texas by May 29th, the next morning. Um, we drove throughout the whole day. We arrived there at this scene, um, actually this, this uh, series of photos. Um, we arrived that evening at around 9 p.m., um, and keep in mind, I was just doing this for myself at the time, um, with no intentions whatsoever to do anything with the images. Um, I just felt it was important to be there and to cover it. And so, um, we first stopped off at a small protest where, um, George Floyd was killed. And then, um, from there, we ended up heading over to the fifth precinct which is where the fires were happening. Um, we arrived there, there was fires. Uh, a lot of the buildings were, were on fire. Um, there were a lot of protesters just walking around. It was more of an or unorganized thing. So it wasn't a march in any way. Um, and uh, about, um, they they were smashed they ended up some of them were smashing windows and stuff like that um we were there i was actually i i was taking photos with one hand with my still camera and doing facebook live with the with my phone so i actually recorded a, about an hour or two hours of live video as well um on facebook with it so That's I was awesome. trying to juggle both at the, at the same time. 
um, until my cell phone, you know, went dead and it went dead like right after this part, which was the end of the night. Um, after this series of photos that you're looking at now, um, the police, they, they were doing flashbangs and they did some tear gas earlier. But after that series, um, the police moved in. They were building barricades to keep them at bay, but uh, they ended up um, coming through and pushing the protesters out. Um, so we ended up going out the next day and we covered the aftermath of it that morning and the community cleaning up. And um, I also talked to and photographed this handicapped black lady who lived in the neighborhood. And she was in tears because the protesters, while they were trying to do good and stuff like that, in this particular protest, um, they were actually harming the people they were trying to support. Um, they were trying to fight for. And she was one of them. And she, you know, her grocery store was burned now. She had no place to go and stuff like that. So um, it was very traumatic. So I photographed that. And then we photographed what was a peaceful march. It was, we marched for 20 miles with them in this peaceful march. And at one end, the, um, the police were there and they put off so much tear gas. And then they blocked them in on the other side and then they shot rubber bullets and then they shot tear gas and stuff like that. And it was a completely, completely peaceful protest. There was no reason for it. Um, after that, we ended up going back the next day. Um, people said, you know, they saw my images and they're like, you have to get these published. So I contacted Zuma Press um, and uh, got back in with them. We ended up covering 17. This one you see here is from Portland. Um, we covered 17 protests across the nation. This image was uh, in Wall Street Journal. Um, and my, my pictures went, uh, got published worldwide many times over. Um, but, you know, you make this picture literally sold for $5 and I had to split that with my agent. So I made $2.50 off this photo, even though it went worldwide. Someone go um, buy this photo right now. Look, it's <laughs> 0.25 you. Cheapos. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. And I will tell you, this is when the federal troops were in. We were we were there in Portland the night of the Wall of Moms, where the moms would make a wall to protect um, the protesters. And um, the the federal troops were there that that time as well. And they um, pushed the, the the moms, and they shot tear gas right at them because uh, they were in the front and right at me. Um, I was in the front as well. Um, the canister hit right at my foot. Um, the, the tear gas in Portland was so much worse than any tear gas I've ever had. I was still feeling the effects three weeks later. I almost collapsed. The street medics actually helped me get out of there because um, my skin was burning. I couldn't breathe. Um, I almost completely collapsed and passed out. Um, and it, it was really, it was, I've never felt the burning like I did with the, the tear gas here. And it's funny because my husband and I, for our anniversary, we gave each other, um, bulletproof vests, bulletproof helmets and, um, <laughs> gas masks for our anniversary gift. But, you know, it, it was, it was really sad because this was the one time ever that the U S has made the, the list for the most dangerous places 
for, for, for journalists. Um, it's never been on the list before until then. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really have follow-up questions. I just feel like that story is like fading into the background a little bit right now. And yeah. it's a really important story. And to talk to someone who is like there on the front lines is is uh, pretty intense. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. We're gonna go back, probably go back to lighter subjects now, but um, <laughs> I just feel like it was such an important time in America and I, and I, and it feels like it's slipping away a little bit, which is I agree, depressing. I agree. So, and they well, fought it was so covered, hard for a while. It was covered worldwide, you know? Yeah. And not only that, there was repercussions in, in here in the UK, a lot here in UK, some pr protests as well. So it shows the importance part of, of photojournalism, like really, truly that five, that $5 you got <laughs> was probably very, very important for a lot of people. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So heavy, heavy stuff. Let's, let's change a little bit the subject here, unfortunately. Uh, but I wanted to go a little bit back to the collector's side. And before you were saying that you were not uh, selling on foundation, the IT collection were not selling on foundation and, and then you sold on Tezos. So for us that, although both of us are in Tezos, mainly for the gen art, I would say, um, tell us a little bit, what is the difference between the ETH community, if there's a ETH community and the Tezos community? Because the Tezos community is a community. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, you know, for me, I think the most important thing about Tezos um, is there is a real community there. Um, and you have the freedom there to do what you want, um, where I don't feel like you have that as much on Ethereum. Like there are pieces that I love, but I wouldn't necessarily put them on Ethereum. I don't want to ruin you know, the sort of branding that I've, that I've created. And um, on, te on Tezos, I can literally put whatever I want and not have to worry about it. Um, I love that about Tezos. I love the community. The people are so much different. Um, it, I'm trying to think, uh, they're just, they're so much closer. I think it's a closer net community. Um, and they are there really for the art, 100%. And um, I just, I'm loving it there. I'm loving that they do events as well. And I get to participate in events. Um, they have different ones where you can do like, there's one coming up for Halloween. Um, I wouldn't be putting these images out normally. I think they're good images. I wouldn't have thought of putting them as NFTs. But, you know, I have, you know, ghost type images and, and stuff like that, that'll be perfect for a Tezos event for Halloween. Um, and so we can have fun with it, you know, as well. And it's just, um, the Tezos spaces are so much fun. We have a great time um, in them. And it's just, I, I, can, I can do editions more easily there. Um, I can do an edition, like I put out an edition, um, of a thousand, I put it at, I think it was two Tez. Um, and I said by three days, whatever has sold, um, whatever hasn't sold, I was gonna burn. 
Um, so it did create a bit of an urgency and stuff like that. And at the time, my work was selling out constantly there within a day. Um, so I ended up selling 186 of those and then I burned the rest of them. But I couldn't do that so easily on Ethereum because you have to like on OpenSea for editions, I, I did an edition of 50 and one of 60 and I had to go in and do each edition, you know, piece. Yep. And um, yeah, it's such a pain. Yeah. And I mean, luckily it was worth it because they sold out. But, you know, I mean, it, it, it was such a pain that I didn't want to have to do that again. So, um, and Tezos is so easy. You just put the amount and then, you know, how many you want to list and that's it. And then, and burning is something, you know, like if, if I'm bored with something, I'll just go in and burn it if it hasn't completely sold the rest of them. So, and it actually creates um, more uh, uh, value for my collectors when I do that, you know? So it, it like I burned one piece that wasn't selling and the person ended up with a one-of-one, -one, you know? And so now it's on the market for, um, I don't know, like a thousand dollars, a thousand tests. So. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So one from what you are telling me um because i have a, a a take on this but it seems to me, is it is it that tezos is more like for um a obby thing than than eth like the my uh, where i come from is that whenever i was i already collected some some photography in there but i think that the prices, the prices are so, so low that I don't understand how can an artist live from that. Okay. And if an artist cannot live from that, he needs to, or not spending so much time on that, or look at that as a second avenue. While in ETH, I can see that there are artists that can use the NFTs as a way of living and for that reason they will put more time and more work into building that do you okay, know what i'm me, coming uh, from yes i have a few things to say about that first of all let me tell you there are super rare artists that are on tezos um perrin is on tezos victoria west is on tezos they are ogs on tezos they've been there since uh, close to the beginning um there's some of the first like Victoria West is one of the first photographers on Tezos. Her work sells for $1,500, you know. So um, there are some amazing artists on there. Um, also, you cannot sell even there unless you put out your best work. So you still have to put out your best work if you want to sell and if you want to do well. Also, the amount of money that I have made there over the past two and a half months is more than I've made at some points in two and a half months on Ethereum. It's all in the way you do it. You do your additions in a way where they end up equaling close to what you would make on Ethereum, even if you have to put out, you know, 100 additions, 50 additions or whatever. And so you end up like, say my work you know, ranges from 0.15 to 0.6, I guess. Um, and so I would put out pieces that I would normally price for 0.2 or something like that. And I would put out the amount of additions that would be co close to that um, 
on Ethereum. When I sell those out, then the secondary market is so much greater on Tezos, in my opinion. And so I make, I put my royalties at 25%. When my work sells, which it sells every day on secondary there, then you're making 25% royalties. One of my pieces sold for 700 Tez and I made, uh, I, I sold it originally for 150 Tez. Then I sold it again for 700 Tez and I made 25% of that. So I made as much as I would make on Ethereum. I made a lot of money on Tezos. You just have is to know there, how to do it. Is there a bear market in Tezos or is it just in ETH? Actually, they're kind. it's kind of a bear market right now in Tezos just because we've had so many events and so many people bought from us during those that people are starting to slow down. So we're starting to feel the bear market now in Tezos. That was not the case um a month ago a month ago tezos was on fire um but but even misan is is buying less right now than he was before um and right now he's also buying from uh, iranian artists so um you know some of those are, are slowly uh slowing down a lot but there's new collectors coming on. I know an unknown collector is now coming on there. Giga, uh, Chad, Giga Chad, what something like that, Pepe? Something um, like that. Yeah, something like that. He's now on there. Um, you know, some of the biggest collectors are now going on to Tezos. So I think I know. Um, I know that Jamichel, Jamichel started in Tezos because I was speaking with him like a few few months ago, and Jamichel Payon. I think that yeah. he started in Tezos and then he went to ETH and he's still collecting Tezos as well. Yeah. I went to I went to Tezos when I started feeling like my money was drying up and I turned, it was like, I think the cool thing about Tezos for me is that you can, um, he probably is taking care of his kid. We don't both have kids who are like running rampant around the house. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the cool thing about Tezos for me is that, you know, if you have like two ETH, and you don't like you can't be a whale in Ethereum. You're just like someone right. with two ETH. If you have two ETH and you go to Tezos, you're like a king. It's like right. you're, you're just feasting. <laughs> like I went, I sold nice. one world of women like at its peak. And I was like, oh man, I caught oh, the top. My gosh. It was great. I sold it for like 10 ETH. And I was like, I'm gonna take all this to Tezos. And I did. And I was just like this huge whale coming in, just like buying stuff. People were like, oh my God. And then I was like, whoa, like the damage you can do with one ETH on Tezos is insane. And so it feels really fun to take what felt like a ton of money and to actually buy the amount of art you would think you couldn't buy with that money, like to go and be like, I'm going to get one of these things for like 20 bucks, you know? I'm gonna get one of these things for like a hundred bucks instead of spending all your like all of that one ETH on like one picture or one yeah. piece of art, you can get like six or seven. It's great. Unless I love you like Tezos. me that collects some for a thousand tests. <laughs> so, That's that awesome. Kind of, also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. feeling more and more expensive over there, to be honest. But um well, and you know what? I will say, um, if if people think you can't make money there, delect sold her piece there for 15,000 Tez. Yeah, the most valuable NFT that I own is on Tezos, which is crazy. Wow. 
Yeah. Wow. yeah. And it's just, I think there's a secret market over there that like these people didn't know about until like two months ago, really. That's what yeah, it felt like. Yeah, that's true. That's that what it felt true. like. Anyway. So, but but the prices are are coming up. Like I was saying, is it important that the prices go up a little bit or is it not important at all? Um, I mean, I don't think it's important if you're still, you know, making what you would make anyway. I mean, you know, I mean, I can price an addition for two Tez, but yet I can sell, you know, 200 of them. So I'm still making more. That's 400 Tez and that's what, what 600 US dollars. So that's still yeah. you know, equal to what I would make in Ethereum. Yeah. Don't get me sure. wrong. I love Tezos. I love Tezos and I've collected there. Um, yeah. I, I love the things that people do there, actually. It yeah. feels more experimental. People don't have so many boundaries. They are not the so worried about so worried about yes. what other, other people will think about it and is it sell or not going to sell. It, it, it feels much more free. Right, right. And then if, if things don't go your way, you'll just burn it, you know? And it's so easy to burn it because, you know, it costs pennies and unlike foundation and stuff, it's like, oh gosh, I made a huge mistake. You know, I've got to burn this and it's going to cost me a fortune. So um, not yeah. as much nowadays, but back in the day, you know? So. Well, that's great. Let's, uh, we, every, every week we, when we bring on someone, we ask them to promote another artist. And so this week you, you've brought us an artist whose name is escaping me at the moment, Daria. Daria. So let's talk about Daria. Tell, tell us all about her and I'll share the screen. I love Daria. Daria, I met during the start of the war in Ukraine. Um, she was one that I helped support um, so she could flee the country. Um, she fled with her daughter and her dog and her husband had to stay behind. Um, she's now in Poland trying to make ends meet. She might have to go back there, um, even though it's still not safe. Um, ho hopefully I will accompany her on that trip and document it. Um, she, has, she produces so much different art style of art. Um, this reminds me of Monty Python a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is her, um, uh, uh, yes, Brothers Grimm series or whatever, Sisters Grimm series, um, fairy tale series. But then she also does a whole different style of work. And then she does another style of work. And everything, she, and she paints all of these by hand. Um, she doesn't use AI or any of that stuff. And um, she's just, she's incredible to me. Um, the things, I mean, this is, she, she deals with this, especially this series, this is her, how she gets out her emotions on what's happening with the war and her, her thoughts, um, with her husband that's still in danger and stuff like that. And this is how she deals with it. Yeah. It's always weird to see, I mean, it's not weird, but it's always like, not shocking. I'm trying to think of the right word. It's a, it's some, it's like the realness of the situation always hits me when I see art from someone who's fled a country that's actually having real, real problems. And I'm, I'm like, oh man, it's raining today. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, this person's like playing their country with their children and continuing to make art. 
Exactly. And if yeah. you look at her um, uh, KO pieces, they're like, and her stuff that- um, Where's that? Uh, her known origin pieces they're oh. completely different from this you know and and her hesitation series that's completely different as well that's some new stuff she's just put out yeah this is great I would have never seen this artist if it wasn't for you well that's I'm trying to show everybody how talented she is um, the pieces that I picked up for her I think were on open sea and they were totally different they were paintings and they were totally different from any of this you see here. Oh boy, I might have to chase those down. I don't know if I can do it right now though, because I don't yeah, know no, no look problem. at my Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing. And I'm I, I'm happy to see that this person is not also not scared of scarcity. So yes, no, she is not. And yeah. and, and she, you know, she's talked about it before too. And she said, I need to make art and I don't. You know, I don't care if people think I'm putting out too much. Um, this is just me and this is what I need to do. Yeah, this is a very cool store. I want to be here. This is great. Yeah. Daria has a cool store. Yes, I would agree with that as well. I'm going to start calling foundation pages stores. It, make, it makes more sense in my brain because I want people to feel <laughs> that way when they walk into a foundation page. <laughs> We've really appreciated being able to talk to you and honestly get to know you I feel like I'm missing out on a ton of really cool photography stories so I feel like well, <laughs> that's okay they to... make me cry so it's probably best <laughs> all right fair enough well maybe yeah I um, we'll hear them someday maybe who knows yeah um but we do unfortunately have to wrap um but thanks for hanging out with us thank um, you and giving us your your observations on collecting and, and your photography it's been fantastic well thank you you know who is not who is not afraid of scarcity as well is sebastian salgado that is going to drop five thousand one ones yes yes my guy <laughs> there you go See? that's actually See? for crazy for 250 for 250 dollars each one one and that just makes everyone in eth to be super expensive all of a sudden you know what <laughs> Whenever an artist makes a ton of money, I'm like, good for you. Good for you. Do it. Yeah. But you know what? Even just real quick on additions, when you're putting out an addition of 100, that's only 100 people in the whole world that have your addition. So it's really not that much. It's a lot of people, if you think about the amount of people who are in crypto or in right. photography NFTs, but it's like nothing compared to like the rest of the world. So yeah. Exactly. So Leslie, thank you so much for coming. It was a pleasure to speak with you and to know a little bit about your work and about what you've been doing. And thank you. Thank you for being in the space. Thank you for the spaces you do on Twitter. You like you are you do one or two spaces per day almost, <laughs> isn't it? At least, yeah. So, so thank you for that. Um and once again, we are going to end this episode 16 this time. Uh Thank you so much for listening to us and give us uh, send some DMs to Jeff if you want him to collect some some oh. stuff. <laughs> hey, 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 That's viewers! Funny. If you're still watching and it's an hour in, go hit that freaking like button. Like no one likes our videos. Not that I actually care, but just do it for the algorithm. Come on, man. Yes. Uh, Press the like, press the retweets, press whatever you need to press in there because we, the we would appreciate that. Yeah. We'd appreciate that. 
So without further ado, thank you so much once again and see you next time. Yeah. Bye. Thanks. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you.